You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen. I want to invite you to take your Bibles while you're still standing. Remain standing. Turn over to the book of James. James chapter 3. Last week we talked about the danger of this world's wisdom. And today we're talking about the benefits of godly wisdom. The benefits of godly wisdom. And so uh, James chapter 3. And we're going to get a running start. We're going to be at verses 17 and 18. But we're going to go back to verse 13 and, and read. If you're there, say amen. Beginning at verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Let me stop and say, in your marriage, in your home, that may, that may characterize your home right now. It's a home of disorder and every evil practice. And you need the wisdom of God. Let's read on, verse 17, because this is where we'll be today. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Did you see that? Did you see how many times in those two verses it talked about peace and peacemakers? That's what God wants for your marriage. That's what God wants for your home. He wants your home to be a place of peace. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you and we give you glory. And Lord, we pray that everything would be to your honor and your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, let me go back and, and, and belabor an illustration, but it is something that I hope will be imprinted into your head. You'll never forget it. Okay, people will ask a lot of times, what is godly wisdom? You know, James chapter 1, verse 5 said, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But what is this godly wisdom? Now, everybody listen closely. I told you, Sheila and I, when we were on the mission field, we were there in England. We'd been in Zimbabwe, Africa. We were now in England. We were staying in the Queen Mother's sister's castle, a beautiful big castle, part of the royalty, part of the royal family. One day, our kids had gone down. They had this massive maze with, uh, this, 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 with all these tall hedges. And our children had gotten into this maze. They could not find their way out of it. Sheila and I began to hear our children holler and scream for help. We were on the third floor of that castle. And so we pushed up the window. We hung out that window. We got their attention. And then we began to give them guidance, telling them how to get out of that maze, to get to the end of it, to get to the conclusion. Now, everybody listen. That's wisdom. When you and I ask God's wisdom, what we're saying is, God, you're transcendent. That means theologically that God is outside. Now, listen closely. Outside of time, space, and matter. Remember, again, when Moses said, God, what is your name? He said, I am, Yahweh in the Hebrew. I am. I'm in the present tense. God is a, a, a thousand years, as Peter said, is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. He's outside of time, space, and matter, and he's looking at your life, looking at my life. 
He's looking at the lives of the people that you love. And you and I need Him, and we need to see from His vantage point our life so that we make right decisions. And all God's people said, Amen, right? So that's godly wisdom. Now there's two points to the message. Number one, the value of godly wisdom. Now you can rush around in the Bible if you want or you can listen. Psalm 111 verse 10 says this, listen, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Eugene Peterson in his book, uh, The Message, which is kind of a, a paraphrased look at the Bible, he said of that verse, he said, the good life begins in the fear of God. Do that, listen to this, do that and you'll know the blessing of God. His hallelujah lasts forever. Now what does that mean? There's a principle there. If I'm trying to get through this maze of life and I want to make right decisions, then I need a fear, a reverence, an awe of God. I'm down here in this maze and I'm looking up and I'm saying, God, I need your wisdom, your counsel, your guidance in who I marry, what job, what curriculum, where I live, where my kids go to school, who their teachers are, everything. God, I need your guidance. I need you to help me here. Proverbs 1.7 says this, A fool despise wisdom and discipline. Again, Peterson in the message said this, Start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. In other words, you and I, first of all, we have a fear, a reverence, an awe of God. And we're looking up and saying, God, I can't do this by myself. I need you to help me. And there's been times in my life when I've cried. When I've cried even not over my life, but the people that I loved. And I just said, God, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what counsel to give my child. But God, you know. God, give me your wisdom, your counsel. You see, that's what, that's what Solomon was saying. A fool despises that. They're going to go it alone. So here in James chapter 3, 13 through 18, when you look at this passage, what James is doing is he's paralleling two types of wisdom. Number one, there is Satan and his fallen world system. In other words, the world. The world offers its wisdom. My friend, everybody look this way. That is a faulty wisdom. Secondly, James says, you and I don't need that kind of wisdom. We don't need worldly wisdom. We need the wisdom of God's kingdom. We need the wisdom of God's word, his will, his kingdom, and how the citizens of his kingdom live. You see, the Bible says this, you and I are in this maze. We're in this world system. It's a fallen systems system, but listen, we're citizens of another land. When I lived in Zimbabwe, I wasn't a citizen of Zimbabwe, Africa. I was a citizen of the United States. And it did not matter where I was at. People understood this, that I was protected. I was watched over by a country over 300 million and a military and an embassy. I would often take people when they visited and I said, if the country, if something happens, go to the embassy, get in the embassy, because the U.S. Embassy in Harare, Zimbabwe is American territory that is protected by the full strength of this government, of this nation. My friend, you and I are citizens of the kingdom of God. Do you realize that all the provisions, all the protection, and everything that God offers you right now as you are a citizen living in a foreign land? You're pilgrims, you're sojourners. I am too. We need this kind of wisdom. Take a left out of James, and I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 2. In Proverbs chapter 2, and I'm going I'm to try to move quickly. But in Proverbs chapter 2, I want you to look at what Solomon, the wisest man in the world, I want you to see what he said about wisdom. Now, here's the wisest man in the world. Solomon is giving counsel, especially to young men, about how to live their life. But young men and young women. 
Now watch this. First of all, Solomon is going to give them counsel and give them wisdom. And what a thing that you pick up for, what you pick up on all the way through the book of Proverbs is that life is short. Did you know that? Hey, listen, life is short. Every young person, listen to me. And your life may be shorter than you think. Life is short. Talking to a dear friend of mine, Doug Payne. I said, Doug, where are you going? He said, I'm going to the funeral of a 26-year-old pilot. Most of you know that Doug is retired. Doug was a crop duster. He flew planes. His dad, who also flew planes, crashed 12 crop dusters in his lifetime and walked away from all of them. I said, Doug, where are you going? He said, I'm going to one of our pilots' funerals. 26-year-old young man, engaged to be married, football star, an expert competitive shooter. He uh, was a crop duster. He was spraying. And Doug said this. I said, Doug, what happened? He said, you don't understand. He said that when you take that turboprop plane and you go into that turn that you see, it, it, he says, when it's hot like it is right now, he says, the air is different. And he said that 26-year-old pilot, when he banked it, all of a sudden lost his power. And as Sandy Payne said, the stick at that point was useless. And he plunged to his death. And Doug said, I'm heading to that funeral. This past week been a painful week. Sheila and I went to the funeral of a dear friend of ours. Friend of ours, Steve Taylor, a minister and a pastor and a missionary who was with us in Zimbabwe. His precious wife, one of the most beautiful, kindest women you'd ever meet in your life, contracted Lou Gehrig's disease and finally died. Steve said after he left his wife after she had died, and she still died young, Steve said, I went back home. And he said, I walked into that utility room. And he said, I went to the dryer to open it to put something in. And he said, one of Shirley's articles of clothing fell out. And he said, I just began to lose it, and I wept. You know, life is short. And you and I, listen, our time in the maze, we don't know how long it is. Young people, you don't know how long it is. You know how many of my friends I've buried? Do you know how many of my friends never made it to college, never married? Do you know how many of my friends died at a young age of cancer or some other disease? There's no guarantee. We don't know how long we're going to be in that maze. We need God, and we need His wisdom. Well, watch what, watch what Solomon does here. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 12, and you can go back later and read it more. He said, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse. In other words, he said, listen, God's wisdom will save you from bad people. That's just that simple. Verse 16, chapter 2, verse 16. Watch what he said. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife, from her seductive words. Listening to an individual yesterday who talked about coming close to adultery, coming close to adultery, nearly ending his marriage, nearly destroying his life and the life of his family and the life of everything that he stood for. And he sat there and he wept and he cried. My friend, do you realize that in that maze that there are people right now, wicked people, evil people, people that are just simply trying to distract you, put there by the enemy to get you off course from God's purpose, His will, His plan for your life? Listen, don't you marry until you have an absolute sure approval and affirmation from God that this is the one you're to marry. Any doubt whatsoever, you hang on, you wait. Verse 20, look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 20. Thus you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. One writer said, God's wisdom will direct you down the path of righteousness. Psalm 23, 3, he leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You know what God's, hey listen, everybody listen. God has a mapped out plan in that maze. God's purpose 
his will, his plan for your life. And you've got a sinister evil in that maze, a force, Satan himself, who's trying to get you off God's course, God's will, God's purpose for your life. That's what he wants. Some of you young people, listen to me closely. You can disqualify yourself from ministry if you live in sexual promiscuity or you marry the wrong person. And again, I've seen men that I've been in ministry with, I graduated from seminary with, my friend, their marriages fell apart, their lives fell apart, some of them, their children today are raising absolute hell. And I believe it all started, they married with the wrong person, or they got their life tied up in something they should have never gotten it tied up in, and they got distracted in the maze. You have an enemy. Look at chapter 3, verse 2, Proverbs 3, 2. Listen to what he says here. He's talking about wisdom. He said, For they will pro prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. It brings you peace. It brings you prosperity. Things go well for you when you're in God's will, doing what God's called you to do. Listen, listen. I tell you from experience, every time that I've got my life outside of God's will, God's purpose, God's plan, it has never gone well for me. It <laughs> never Chapter 3, verse 8. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 8. Thus, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. It'll bring health to your body. It brings nourishment to your bones. And then look at verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17. Talking again about wisdom. Her ways, wisdom's ways, are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Man, listen. There is a peace... When you and I are in the center of God's will. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, the safest place to be is in the will of God. Did you know that? That's the safest place for you and I to be. My friend Shirley Taylor, who died of Lou Gehrig's disease, on her deathbed, she was signing. She signed. She begged Steve. She said, Steve, learn how to do sign language. Steve, Steve threw tears at her funeral. Steve wept and said, I never learned. On her deathbed, on her deathbed, she kept signing six words to Steve. She was unable to speak. Lou Gehrig's disease is a horrible disease because it cripples your muscular development and your muscular, all your muscles begin to shut down. But you get where you can't eat. She was fed through a tube. And finally you can't breathe and, and you finally suffocate. But your mind is keenly aware. And Steve said, though her body was disabled and she was dying, she kept desperately signing six letters to me. And Steve said, I tucked them away in my memory. And after she died, Steve said, I went back to the hotel room. And he said, I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember those signs. He said, I got out. He said, I began to walk. And he said, I was crying. And I was saying, God, help me to remember. She, she did it over and over again. What was she saying to me, God? And all of a sudden, he said, the presence of Christ came around him. And he began to take his hands, and he began to sign those six letters. And yet he said, what do they mean, Lord? What do they mean? He said he walked back into that hotel room. He closed the door, and when he closed the door, something shined. It caught the light. He turned and looked, and it was sign language. Every sign spelled out. He said, I pulled that off. And he said, I, I began to look in. O-F-E-A-R. Her mind keenly aware was saying, no fear, no fear. Even though she was dying, she was saying to her family, saying to Steve, saying to her three children, there's no fear. And Steve said, he said she was at times trying to lift her hands up toward the heavens, just like our friend Sheila Karen McLemore did when she was dying. And she was trying to speak. But she was signing those letters, no fear, no 
fear. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Steve said Jesus was in the room. 365 times God tells you in his word. You know what he says to his kids? Don't you be afraid. No fear, no anxiety. Don't you worry. I got this. I've got this. Trust me. Trust me. Proverbs 3.24 said, God's wisdom will deliver you from fear. It'll give you a peaceful night's sleep. Proverbs 3.24. Proverbs, Proverbs 3.26. One writer said, you will gain confidence in God and avoid being ensnared. In other words, in that maze, you've got an enemy. Parent, listen. Parent, listen. Your child is in that maze of life making all kinds of decisions. You're on your knees praying. God, help me. Give me wisdom. Help me to know how to counsel my son and my daughter about where to go to school, curriculums to take, who to date, who to marry, where to live, how to help them make decisions in their life. God, give me that wisdom. But understand this, your child has an enemy and that sinister evil, that enemy, is plotting in every way possible to disrupt your child's life. He comes in that maze to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus said this, Paul said it, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Bible doesn't tell me to run out of the maze and run away from the devil. The Bible says resist the devil. The Bible said he'll be the one running. And you can't resist them with nothing but the indwelling Holy Spirit and the Word of God. You and I need that kind of wisdom. Solomon said in Proverbs 4, 7, he said, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Again, James 1 said, If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask of God, now listen to this, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. You know what God says? You ask me for wisdom, and I'm not going to sit there and drag up all your faults. I'm not going to sit there like a piece of a yarn with a kitten, pulling it away from you. God says, I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to give it to you generously. Why? So you and I can live in that maze in victory. He's come to give you life and to give it to you how? Abundantly. As part of your testimony. So there's a value of godly wisdom, but there's a cost to keeping it. You know, wisdom, one writer said this. He said, wisdom is using God's take charge process as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Turn over, take a, take a right from Proverbs. Get over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want you to see this. Because God will give you and I wisdom, but buddy, there's a, listen, there's a cost to keeping it. Look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Listen, everybody look this way. That maze is like a race. It's like a competition. It's life. He said, do you not know that in a race all the runners won, run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, listen to what Paul said while he's in the maze. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I've got purpose and meaning. I've got direction to my life. I know where I'm going. I know who I'm following. Paul said, I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Wow. Isn't that great? You know, godly wisdom, we said it last week, is not a result of age. It's not a result of age. I told you some old people that I've met, they're just as dumb as a doorknob. They ain't learned nothing in life. There's some senior adults, they're still 70-year-old hippies. They ain't never going to grow up. And one day they're going to bust hell wide open if they don't repent. Age is not the key. Academics is not. You can have more degrees, we said last week, than a thermometer. But that doesn't give you wisdom. It doesn't give you this kind of wisdom. 
Godly wisdom is not a quality that, that just invades our life like electricity. I remember when I was sick in Zimbabwe, I was laying in there, I was, I was laying in the living room, and I was sick. And two African pastors, at great expense, took a bus and came to my home, and Sheila met them at the door, and they came in and said, we've come to pray for Mufundus Parker. Now, folks, I don't embellish anything, and I'm not embellishing this. These two African pastors knelt down by that couch. They laid their hands on my body, and they began to pray for God to heal me. And my friend, when they prayed, an electrical current went from the... God is my witness. An electric current went through the top of my head all the way down to the soles of my feet in that moment. Those are the same men that we went to visit an African child, nine years old, that was brain dead. I used to be a paramedic. I know what brain dead is. He had no function, none whatsoever. His hands were drawn. His feet were straight. He was dead, but his body was alive. And while that poor mama sat there and brought that little frail-looking nine-year-old boy that was nothing more than a skeleton and laid him in the arms, John Williams of Mufundus Jaina laid him in the arms of that old African pastor. And I'll never forget old Mufundus Jaina, Mufundus Mube. You click when you say his name, Mube. They were sitting there rocking and praying and I was trying to figure out where to take him in Joburg, Johannesburg. Where can we put him in an institution? He's dead! But those men weren't counting on worldly wisdom. Those men were in the maze looking up toward God and holding that child. And my friend, before I left, Sheila's sitting there smiling already. Jeff Ainsworth, who's with the Lord now, laughed one time and told me, it's your fa my favorite story you tell. God is my witness. I was putting the Jesus reel on the projector, showing the film to about 1,500 to 2,000 African men and women when a child went by me. I turned and looked, and I took a double look, triple look. I kept looking. Finally, I turned to Mufundus Jaina and Mufundus Nube, and I said, is that? And they laughed and said, that's that nine-year-old boy that you said was brain dead. You and I serve a great God. But wisdom doesn't come like that. It's not like a current of electricity. Wisdom comes through prayer as you and I seek God. And once we are able, once we get the wisdom of God, we've got to live a disciplined life. You see, that's what Paul was saying. I wrote down here, in other words, I learn as I live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ to critical words in fact turn to your neighbor and say them self-control turn to your neighbor and say it you see self-control is a fruit of god's holy spirit it's a fruit of god's holy spirit love joy peace gentleness patience kindness self-control it's a part of life. It's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. You see, my kids were wandering around down there in that maze. And you know what Sheila and I were doing? Hey, Amy, Emily, Ledge, Jeffrey, look this way. We were trying to get their attention. And they had to be disciplined enough to look up and look at us, focus their eyes, their attention on us, and then follow our instructions my friend you and i will never maintain godly wisdom if we live uncontrolled lives self-control we, we have an enemy we, we we could be shouting instruction instructions but our kids have to be disciplined enough in the maze to to listen and to follow our instructions and that's what god asks you and i to do we've got to learn to be self-controlled you know what proverbs says proverbs 25 28 says this it says like a city whose walls are broken down or through is a person who lacks self-control do you have it 
It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're, hey, listen, if you're a Christian, if you've repented of your sin, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, one of the fruits of the Spirit is your ability, listen, to control yourself. It's a key. One psychiatrist said this. He said, a, a Christian psychiatrist, he said a man or a woman or a young person who lacks self-control is vulnerable. They're open to the attacks of the enemy. In the Hebrew, this word means he that rules not over his own spirit is like a broken down city. You know what we ought to say around here? Oh my goodness, mom ought to say to a rebellious child, you're starting to look a little bit like Jackson. You done gone Jackson on me. Because that's what the writer said. There are 86,400 seconds in a day, and you and I can't afford to live one second without God's wisdom, His counsel. This, a psychologist said this. He said, when a person admits, for example, listen men, when a person admits, for example, anger, what they are saying, I have no self-control. Please don't expect me to use self-control with you because I don't use self-control with nobody and I get away with it because I am not accountable because I don't have self-control. That's the way some men look at anger. That's the way some men look at lust. That's the way some people look at lying. I can't help it. It's just the way I am. You know what you lack? You lack the spiritual gift of self-control. That's the problem. God will not come down and cut your TV off hell's box office. You're going to have to do it. God is not going to keep you from eating a Baconator. You're going to have to do it. God, if, 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 listen, you and I will have to have that spiritual gift of self-control, and that's part of how we keep wisdom. When you look at Paul, you listen to what Paul says. I beat my body... I make it my slave. In other words, what Paul said, listen, I'm down in this maze and I'm asking for God's wisdom. I want to see my life, my decisions, my life from God's perspective because God's transcendent. That's where I'm looking. I'm looking toward God. You know what some people are doing? They're slave to their body, slave to food, slave to sex, slave to laziness. Hey, listen, they're in the maze eating a box of donuts. They're watching TV. They're in the maze, but they're living their life in disobedience to the Word of God. They're in drugs. They're in alcohol. They're in promiscuous sexual behavior. They're sitting there sucking on a cigarette, taking years off their life. And then when you look at them and you say, hey, listen, uh, you, need to, you need to get some control here. You know what they say? They say, well, it's appointed unto man once to die. My friend, that is a misquoted verse. I could tell you that it is appointed unto man once to die and walk out in front of a 70-mile-an-hour semi-truck coming down 55 and look and, and listen, you can be rest assured that that may not have been God's time for me to die. I prematurely ended my life in disobedience to the Word of God. You and I in that maze, we can live in willful, defiant disobedience and listen. What does wisdom do? Solomon said it prolongs your day, it gives you health, it gives you peace, you sleep better. But hey, my friend, if you and I don't have wisdom and we don't keep it and we don't have the spiritual gift of self-discipline, get ready. We may die young in the maze. I told a father yesterday whose heart was breaking. It broke my heart. A man that could buy probably millions of dollars. A man that has everything. But he's got a grown son that's breaking his heart. I said to that father, I texted him later on. I said, introduce your grown son to Jordan Peterson and to work such as 12 Rules for Life. You want to change your life, shake your life up a little bit? Listen to Jordan Peterson. He's one of the foremost psychologists, clinical psychologists, brilliant mind. 
I told this dad, I said, he has a strong, no-nonsense, quit making up excuses for your lame, deadbeat life and take responsibility and get some self-control. You're not a victim. You live in a country like no other and you have every opportunity. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, Paul said, I practice self-discipline, self-denial. I'm doing this because I want to maintain the wisdom of God to move through. I'll close in a moment. But Paul, when he's talking to Corinth, he's alluding to the Isthmus Games. They were second only to the Olympics. Every three years they had the Games. When somebody competed in those games in Corinth, you know what they did? They set aside nine to ten months where they were coached and instructed for about ten months, rigged, rigorously. I mean, it was unbelievable training. At the end of that, they competed. Do you know what they received? They received a pine-leafed piece of garland. You know what Paul said to the church at Corinth, one of the most carnal, ungodly churches in the New Testament? Paul said, listen, we're not competing for a piece of uh, a, a leaf to be draped around our head. Paul said, we are competing for heaven and the eternal rewards of heaven. In fact, the word compete in the New Testament, in the Greek, it means to agonize. Jesus said in Luke 13, 23 in the Greek, he said, agonisomai ice erikomai in the Greek. He said, you're agonizing to enter. Hey, I'm not, I'm not strolling along in this maze. I'm moving with will and purpose to my life. My friend, I got up this morning, I'm walking my dog. I'm watching what I'm eating. I'm hanging on. I've got a stint in the Widowmaker, but I'm doing everything I can because I want to stand in the maze as long as I can. Living out the Christian life, talking to as many people as I can, getting them on the right path and the right road, helping them to find Christ and begin to look up and get God's counsel rather than this world. My friend, the problem is so many times in our life, temptation comes into our life. And if we're not careful, all temptation is this. You know what temptation is? Temptation is whether I'm going to choose God's counsel in the maze or my own. I was reading about Chris Farley. Chris Farley was on Saturday Night Live. Big heavy set guy. He was found dead in his downtown Chicago apartment on December 18, 1997, at the age of 33. You remember what I told you, your life may be shorter than you think. Chris Farley said in an interview, and I hate to tell you, but it was a Playboy interview. Now, I didn't look at Playboy to get it. But he said in an interview, he said, I used to think that you could get to, to a level of success where the laws of the universe did not apply. But they do. It's still life on life's terms, not on movie star terms. I still have to work on relationships. I still have to work on my weight and some of my other demons. Now listen to what Farley went on to say. Once I thought that if I just had enough in the bank... If I had enough fame, then it would be all right. But I'm a human being like everyone else. I'm not exempt. And the article ended with this last sentence. Sadly, his words proved to be prophetic. In the poem Evictus by William Ernest Henley, he says this, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. And you know what Satan loves? He loves those words. Elvis Presley, uh, this past week on PBS, was running the 1968 Elvis Presley comeback. As I watched him, talented, gifted, much like Whitney Houston, much like Michael Jackson, and like so many who have been called up in this world system and somehow got lost down there in that maze. They had popularity. They had prosperity. They had everything, but they did not have the wisdom of God to make right decisions. And I looked at Elvis Presley, unbelievably handsome man, gifted, talented, and I looked at him. 
And I thought about a conversation that he had with Nancy Sinatra, Sinatra on his way to a Las Vegas show. He put his head down in that limo and tears began to come down his cheeks. Nancy Sinatra looked over at him and said, Elvis, what's wrong? He said, everything. She said, Elvis, you've got, every, you've got everything. You've got fame, you've got fortune, you've got women. You've got everything that a man could want. What do you want? And Elvis Presley looked at her tear-stained eyes and he said, a long time ago, and probably in that maze, he said, God called me to be in music ministry and I told him no. Cece Winan begged Whitney Houston, which may have been the greatest female vocalist that's ever walked the earth. Cece Winan said, Whitney, don't go the way of the world. Follow us. Stay with us. And Whitney used to die just like Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley died in a bathroom, collapsed on the floor. Whitney Houston died in a bathroom. And my friend and her daughter died in a bathroom just like she did. You're not the only one mom and dad going through that maze. You've got lives that are following you. They're watching you. Shirley Taylor this friend of ours came to the end of her life. Doctor in the room, with her mind keenly aware, was saying, it's time to end her life. Now think about that. Your mind is fully engaged hearing everything. And the doctor said, she can't breathe anymore. We're having to breathe for her. We need to make her comfortable and let her die. But Steve said we had been carrying on a conversation. She had, been, she had been trying to write notes or do what she could to communicate. And Steve said, I wanted to say no. Just a little more. Longer conversation. But finally, she motioned three letters in O. W and point it like that. Steve looked at her and he said, No, Shirley, not now. But he said she was talking to Jesus. Jesus was in the room. And and and, and he said, No, Shirley, we're talking we just a little bit longer. And Shirley said, The doctor said what happened next was an impossibility with someone with Lou Gehrig's disease at that point. He said, she looked, she said, now. She took a deep breath, and she died. They didn't have to do anything, didn't have to cut anything off, didn't have to give her anything. Jesus had walked into the room and said, Shirley, it's time to come home. Took her hand. And what Jesus was saying to Shirley Taylor, now, now. If you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, you're gambling everything right now in that maze. And God wants to give you His wisdom, but first you need to repent of your sin, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm scared to do that. I don't want to come down the aisle. I've been a, I've been a church member for years, but I'm, I don't know if I'm saved or not. You need to settle that in your heart. A little while ago, Philip, Amy, I looked over there, and there was Lily, big old smile on her face, them braces just showing, just shining almost. She was just illuminated. And she looked like she knew had not some. She looked like she had some information that I wasn't aware of. And she said, "There's two of us." And what she was saying was, Annalise has finally gotten the nerve and the strength, and Annalise is coming with me, and Annalise is going to finally make that baptism a part of that journey and so when Emily's out there crying right now 
And I was thinking to myself, I, I heard the music winding down. I knew when Jeffrey was going to turn around. And, and I was thinking, I kept looking for these girls. They never were showing up. And I thought, well, am I going to wade across there and holler down there and say, girls, come on. And all of a sudden, both of them came up and Lily came up like she was carrying a trophy. And there was Annalise right by her side. And you want me to tell you something when I baptized both of those girls? Man, those faces were absolutely beautiful. And one thing about Annalise, I said, Annalise, I said, hold your hands like this. I said, and she was sitting there with her hands like this, just as calm, bending those knees, getting ready. In fact, I looked at her and I said, you don't have to bend yet. Let me close before we pray with this. Steve Taylor said he told this story. Steve Taylor is what you call an African missionary in every sense of the word. He looks like a missionary. And Steve at the funeral was telling this story when they were in the Zambezi River, living in a very, very remote part of Africa where everything you picture in a Hollywood movie, that's it. Lions, he seen college, he saw a college student be killed by a lion. We had a missionary friend who his wife was, was killed by Cape Buffalo. I mean, you know, Steve's seen all kinds of things. He, he lived his life out in the wild. And Steve had gotten an old Corvette engine and put it on a boat. And he would travel on the Zambezi River on Lake Kariba. And he had this boat rigged up. And he would go to villages and tell people about Jesus Christ. He went up the Zambezi. He was out on the Kariba River. Out on the Kariba, the lake, Kariba Lake, it would be like being on the reservoir, even bigger. And he said all of a sudden the engine went out and it broke down and he didn't have Willie and Eric. He said there are islands sprinkled everywhere and there's hippos, there's crocodiles, there's all those animals, there's all those things. And he said he was, he was on this island, this uninhabited island in the middle of the lake. And he said, my only hope was this, that Shirley, now let me describe Shirley. Shirley was funny to look at. She looked like some model out of Hollywood. This blonde, beautiful woman, always dressed, always makeup in the middle of the bush. This petite little woman. And so Steve began to think, you know, the only hope I have is Shirley's going to mess me and send some help. Day one went by, day two, and finally at the end of the second day, he said, I could hear a boat motor in the distance. And he said, so I hurried up and I built a fire. And I began to lay something over that fire and I began to send what I knew were like smoke signals because he's from out west, got a lot of Indian in him. And he said, I began to send those smoke signals, that smoke up. And he said, all of a sudden that boat, it was about to go away. And he said, all of a sudden it turned, started coming toward that island. He said, I thought to myself, well, surely send help. Surely send help. And then Steve, as he was preaching his own wife's funeral, he said, I looked, and I watched that boat just hitting them waves on mission, heading toward that little island where I had been there for two days, was hungry and tired and so lonely. And he said, I looked, and on the bow of that boat was a little bitty petite woman. She was standing on the bow of that boat, and she was making her way. He said, she didn't send somebody to rescue me. She came to rescue me. And he wept and he cried, and he said, what will I do without her? Fifty-three years of marriage. My friend, may you and I understand, we have the God of the universe who wrapped himself, as the African says, who wrapped himself in the flesh of man. He invaded his creation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He was the one on that boat. He is the one who saves and redeems every single one of us when we repent of our sin, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we come to You and we pray and we ask You
first of all, dear Lord, if there's a man or a woman, a young person, a boy or girl, who says today, I'm lost in this maze. I, I don't know what to do. I've never given my life to Jesus. I've got so many decisions ahead of me, and I'm scared to make any of them because I don't, I don't know what you've talked about. I don't know the Lord. I pray, dear Lord, for that person, whoever they may be, that even now, right now, that they would hear that beautiful verse that says, For God so loved the world. That they would take from that word world, they would put that cosmos, they would put their little name, their life in that word, For God so loved me. And Lord, I pray that they would repent of their sin and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. And in this moment, save me. Be the Lord of my life. And Lord, when they pray that prayer in repentance and they believe in faith, they begin a journey in the maze with the precious Lord Jesus by their side. Never will I leave you. Never will I fail. Uh, never will I move away from you. I'll always be there. And Jesus from that moment begins to walk us through the maze. We're looking to the Father for that wisdom, but, but there's the Jesus and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit say this is the way, walk in it. So, Lord, I pray for someone who prayed that prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. That today they would make it public. If they're watching later, later on, that they might contact this church or they might find somebody and say, I did this today. And then they would follow in believers' baptism. Lord, I pray for others in this room that need a church home. They need to settle down, plant their life somewhere May they do it today here. Lord, I pray for others that may need to just come and spend a moment in this altar. May need to come and say to Sheila, Sheila, would you pray for me? My life in the maze has not been looking too good lately. I've been living in willful disobedience, been doing some things that I'm ashamed of. God, may you help, help us to have that self-control. And God will give you everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give everything to you. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. You come. You come. If Christ has spoken to you, if his Holy Spirit is speaking to you now, you, you slip out and you come. May never be an opportunity like this moment right now. You come. You come.